believe that as we were worshiping this morning, um, that I believe that that word, Psalm 23, 6, is for somebody. That surely your goodness and your mercy or your unfailing love will pursue me, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will remain, I will dwell, I will live in the house of the Lord. So I don't know who that's for this morning, but I believe that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Y'all may be seated. Thank you for joining us in worship. It feels so good to be in the presence of the Lord and to just sit and to just be. It feels so good. I love these moments. I love these moments. Well, we are so thrilled to have Reverend Jen Tringale with us this morning. Rev, Pastor Jen. <laughs> no, we're so thrilled. You know, she, she's back in her stomping grounds. She grew up here in Florence, Kentucky, um, and she graduated from Rama Bible College. And uh, are you in Nashville or Fort? Okay, you reside in Nashville, so you're getting some good barbecue. Good, good barbecue, good, good music. I'm sure when you walk down the streets in Nashville, you gotta have a couple dollars and just for every musician that goes. <laughs> but if you don't know um, Jen, she is an international speaker, author, um, and she has a powerful word deep within her that the Lord has given her, and it is very compelling. And um, she has an incredible podcast. I'm sure. Um, there's more information in the back about her podcast. But you have traveled all over the world. You've spoken to lots of different, lots of different people, heads of state, cabinet members. You have a great influence, and we're so grateful for you to come today and to bless us with the word that God has given you to awake destiny and calling and um, I promise, I've been telling our church, y'all, she's a powerhouse, and I finally showed a clip, and I said, I told y'all she was a powerhouse. So can we give her a warm welcome? Why don't you stand your feet and let us just give her a warm gathering place church welcome this morning. Oh, thank you so much. You can be seated this morning. Oh, so sweet. I don't know who that woman is, but that you introduced, she sounds amazing. Um, wow, it's just really special to be here uh, this morning for so many reasons. Um, I don't know why, but I just, you know, I haven't known this crew a really long time, but but I feel like I know this crew, you know, we've kind of interacted a few times. I've been really looking forward to just coming and being in this house, being on the grounds. I mean, even when I arrived, I was like, whoa, this building is fantastic. It's like Jesus and Restoration Hardware met <laughs> and became friends and planted a church. And, um, but uh, anyway, I, uh, I was just looking forward to it and I don't know why, I mean, I, I don't really have the right to call her this, but I just want to call her Pastor Bree. I don't know who calls you what, but um, I just, 
I just think you're amazing. And I walked in and I said, who does a women's conference right before they're about to have a baby? <laughs> you do. And uh, you've got to be the most attractive looking pregnant woman I have ever seen. I'm... If I didn't already like you, I would hate you, but it's too late. It's too late. And uh, I mean, if you don't like Pastor Bree, I question your salvation. Something's seriously wrong with you. She's just so precious, but, but her and her team and what you all have done and putting this together, it's just absolutely amazing. They've created a beautiful place just everywhere you look, but even in just the feeling and the atmosphere, they've created a beautiful setting for us to come and get what God has for us in the room today. And uh, it is my delight and my honor to be here. This family is so well established. What they've done in the Northern Kentucky region really cannot be measured. And, uh, and I'll say a few more things about that a little bit later, but um, we're really honored to stand in a place that's got some real depth to what's in the room because heaven got you here on divine appointment today. And some of you could have bailed at the last minute and said, I got so much going on and, and rightfully so. We all have such full plates. But I believe that somehow, some way, God just nudged you enough over the edge to say, no, I'm going to be there because it just seems that God has been waiting to get your attention long enough to get you something you need for where you're at in the journey with God you're in right now. And, uh, and what I love about the way that God works in settings like this is he'll take the words that come out of my mouth and by the time they leave my mouth and reach your ears, he will custom tailor those words to be exactly what you need for the season that you are in. And at the same time, you know, over here on the other side of the room, he'll do the same thing. He'll take the words that come out of my mouth and he'll custom tailor it and he'll just speak to your heart. He'll deposit to your heart whatever you need for what you're walking through right now. And I don't really understand exactly how he does that. I'll just tell you the truth. I never get tired of watching him do it. And, uh, and so for whatever purpose got you here today, just know that's what's really going on here today. So can we just pray and just sort of say, God, we're just going to take a deep breath, push pause on all of life that's going to wait for us on the other side of this. And God, you have my attention. So let's just do that. Father, we love you. Oh, how we love you. And we bless you. Holy Spirit, thank you for getting us in the room today. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we open wide to receive the Father's design and desire for us this morning. God, all that you desire to transpire in me, we say yes to it in advance. All that you want to speak, Lord, the picture you want to paint on the canvas of our heart, we say do it, we give you room to do it. We take out the why, we take out the how, we take out the when, and we just say, God, show us. And Holy Spirit, we give you permission to invade the privacy of our heart today. 
and that if necessary, come and rearrange the landscape of our lives to put us in position for whatever it is that you have for us for this time that we are right now standing in. And we thank you for it. Oh, how we thank you. And we give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, if you would uh, just uh, oblige me, and I just want us to do one thing that I just never tire of doing because it just brings so much joy. And I just want you to look at the woman next to you in the eye and tell her your hair has never looked so good. Thank you. You were awesome. Hey, can I have that? Now, I want you to notice the joy level that just went up. I'm telling you, it's very powerful, okay? And so you might have somebody that you got to work with or somebody in your family that's just sort of a little bit more bent to having bad days or maybe they've just pre-decided they don't like you and they want you to know it and i am telling you this is a fail-proof tool i am giving you to put in your back pocket that when they spit all kinds of ugly at you or even the checkout counter whatever you just look them in the eye and say one thing and they say yeah and you can look at that woman and say, your hair looks amazing. It is like disarming a nuclear weapon. It's so powerful, okay? So I'm going to give you that for free. That's just totally... Oh, it's so, so good. Hey, I'm going to mention just a couple of things that I brought um, that I'm excited to tell you about because... Uh, they are tools to help you on the path of destiny and what God has called you to do. And we're going to just really receive from heaven during our time together. And I believe God's going to do so much. But I would love to be able to be a part of your journey even beyond this time that we have together today. And so there's a few resources that are out there. Um, I'm just going to mention a few for the sake of time. This is um, the first book that I did. It's called Your Defining Moment When Time and Destiny Meet. And I wrote this to feel just sort of like a conversation over a cup of coffee. Uh, about what it is that God's called you to do and uh, how you walk that out. I'm really missing my long hair looking at that, but I'm getting distracted. Let's move on. Okay, uh, then this is the newest book that came out. It's called Calling, Understanding Your Purpose, Place, and Position. And I wrote this because I found out that it's one thing to know maybe have an idea of what God's called you to do. It's another thing to know, God, how am I supposed to walk that out? What does that look like? And so what I found out is most of us as believers are trying to figure out where does my calling function? What's the place for it? And what does this look like? So if you're kind of in that spot, I believe that book will be a blessing to you. And then uh, we also have a 21-day devotional. Uh, anybody here have, have ever done this devotional? Yes? Pastor Joyce has done the devotional. Can I just take this moment in for a second? I am so honored 
All right. I'm getting distracted easy today. Let's just stay focused. Really? I mean, for real? Of all the devotionals that are out there? I mean, will you guys mark that down? Do you know how important that makes me? Somebody Instagram that. Okay. Um, well, you might want to pray. Just start praying. Uh, I wrote this because the Lord, uh, he actually spoke to me one day. I was getting ready. And he said, Jen, he said, I want you to start speaking to your day before your day can start speaking to you. And, and I love that. And, and he actually just downloaded some things to my heart and said, declare this. And I'll tell you all the truth. I never so, saw so much movement in my life and God just being able to just do things in my life that I knew he wanted to do as when I started speaking that. So we actually took it and made it available. So it's in a paper book form, but if you would rather just put it on in the morning while you're getting ready or have it on in the car, we actually did an audio version and it's on CD. So that's back there. And then there's just two um, messages I'm going to mention for the sake of time. These are our newest ones. This is a CD message called Citizens of Heaven on Earth, How Your Authority Brings Change. Hello. And then this one we're going to touch on a little bit today. It's called Restoration, the Art of Revealing the Fullness of You. And so uh, those are back there. And it wouldn't be a women's conference without a t-shirt. Um, this was my office staff's idea, and we sell out of them, and they like to remind me that it was their idea. So um, it says, live boldly, but the back is really the kicker. It says, boldness isn't knowing how it's all going to be. Boldness is knowing that however it transpires, it is your destiny, and nothing can stop the footsteps of faith. Come on. So uh, if it's time to start walking at the park, there's your t-shirt. Praise the Lord. Did you bring your Bibles today? All right. If you would, go ahead and um, we're going to open up in the book of Acts chapter 3. And uh, you can look on to someone else's Bible if you need to. Um, but I'm excited about what God has for us today. I really believe that I'm here on divine assignment. Amen. And, uh, and what a joy it is to be on divine assignment in northern Kentucky. I'm from northern Kentucky. Uh, I grew up right here in Florence. My family's from here. And so I was just sharing with your pastors, you know, typically every weekend I'm in the, on the road in another city. And so you're kind of in somebody else's hometown, you know, and, and you're like, okay, well, there's their dollar store and there's their McDonald's and there, but uh, to wake up this morning and go like, wow, there's where I went to school and my parents used to have a restaurant there and, you know, I remember eating there and I can't believe that Fillmore's Dairy Hut is still open. I mean, you, that is a mean milkshake. It's powerful. The only thing I don't really appreciate is I use all of my stamina to drive by the skyline, and by the time I get three blocks down the road, there's another one <laughs> that I got to work to get past, and I don't think it's going to happen today, so pray for your sister. Uh, but it's, it's great to be here in northern Kentucky. So I want to use this as our jumping off place to get into what God has for us. Uh, it's, I think... Um, 
somebody mentioned this a little earlier, you know, we are living in a time right now like has never been before. And we could say that in a lot of ways. You know, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've been walking with the Lord, maybe spiritually you're thinking, oh yeah, spiritually we're in a new place, it's a different time, and that's true. Um, But even just naturally speaking, even sociologists, mainstream sociologists, are saying that we are living in a time like has never been before. Because of technology and things changing and picking up at such a rapid rate, we are literally moving, not just in a time, but at a pace like humanity has never experienced. And so mainstream sociologists are actually saying, in essence, we have no roadmap for this time. There's no way to even predict where things are going because it's moving so fast. Man, what an incredible time to have the Spirit of God on the inside of you that knows the way forward and can alert you in the morning and say, this is coming, get ready. Amen. But because we're living in a time like it's never been, I believe that heaven has some things to say about the time we're in right now, the time we're living in, and even the time that you're living in in your life. And so I want to look at this uh, portion of scripture in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 20. And it says this, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. One translation says it this way, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. So I want to tell you a little story. Um, quite a few months ago, I was uh, in a hotel room getting ready for a uh, service that morning, and, and I was just spending some time with the Lord, drinking a really strong cup of coffee, which was a fabulous morning. And I just remember suddenly hearing these words reverberate in my heart. And it was one of those times where the Lord spoke to me maybe a little more emphatically or a little stronger than typical. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so this is what I heard the Lord say. He said, heaven is on a tour of restoring lost art. I thought, what a phrase. And I just sat and and took that in and and then I just heard him say it again. Heaven is on a tour of of restoring lost art. And I just sat back and I said, all right, Holy Spirit, talk to me about this. What does this mean? And this is when he took me to this verse and he pointed out to me that when Jesus came into the earth, he announced a time that in many ways we're still living in right now, maybe is truer now more than ever. He said, these are the times for the restoration of all things. And so when heaven talks about restoring things, what he's talking about is things that he designed, things he spoke into existence, things he planned even before the worlds began. God says, I'm going to restore these things. 
So what does that mean for you and I? I want to give you a couple of definitions of what this word restore means. So the first one's one probably we all know pretty well, and it's the definition of restore. It means to reverse the deterioration of something. Uh, there's actually an entire television channel committed to the restoration of things. Don't look at me like you don't spend time watching it <laughs> because we all know it really well and it's called, help me, HGTV. I mean, there's a couple named Chip and Joanna Gaines that are laughing all the way to the bank this morning because they discovered this powerful art of this work of restoration, right? So they take old things that have been deteriorated. Either they've rusted or termites have eaten through. And so it's amazing that really, you know, humanity is almost eclipsed with the process of watching works of restoration. Something that time forgot that looked worthless, that had just been abused and beaten up and, and eaten up and looked like it's never really going to fulfill its purpose. In fact, if you look at it, its time has passed. But then all of a sudden, in the hands of someone who knows how to reverse the deterioration, come on, all of a sudden we watched the process of something that nobody really valued very much at all and in the hands of someone that has the power to restore, they take that and when they reverse the deterioration, they stand it up and everybody goes, whoa. That is such a picture of this definition of restoration, of reversing the deterioration of something. How many of you know that no matter what has transpired in our lives or on the inside of us, either by maybe our own wrong choices or the wrong choices of others or just the effects of living in a fallen and broken world, I want you to know today that everything that has felt some deterioration, heaven is saying, I am on a tour of restoring lost art and I will in a moment reverse the deterioration of what you have been affected by adversely because you and I are living in a time for the restoration of all things I remember that morning sitting in that hotel room when the Lord said that to me and I started thinking of things that I could categorize that needed to be restored you know, so I grew up a church kid. I mean, I was raised in church. You know, my, my grandmother was the church secretary. My aunt and uncle were my children's pastors. You know, my, my mom and dad, I didn't grow up in a minister's home, but it was always us and the pastor's kids were the last ones to leave. You know, it was just like, whatever it takes to keep the shit moving, that's what we did. And I'm so thankful for that upbringing, but so growing up in church, you know, I'm kind of categorizing these things that I can perceive maybe need to be restored. And I thought, you know what, Lord, we need prayer restored. We need prayer is having a comeback. I mean, the power of prayer to just go, is something out of line? Let's get an agreement and take care of that thing. I don't need to go scroll on Facebook looking for an encouraging word. I can drop on my knees and get the word from heaven. Hello. Hello. 
I believe prayer is having a comeback and it's being restored. The other thing I feel like heaven is restoring to this generation is the adventurous life of, of taking bold leaps of faith. Instead of living a life where we're going, well, now I don't want to risk anything because number one, what if I offend someone? Number two, you know, what if it doesn't work out? I mean, I don't want to get too bold. I mean, what if my money isn't there to get my new purse next week? And that would be really, really bad. You know, I feel like heaven is restoring to us the adventure of life in God and saying, I don't know what, this doesn't make sense in the natural, but thus saith God, and I am stepping out of the boat. Come on, this is the life we were made for. And so I can see, you know, God restoring that. But as I was sitting there in that hotel room that morning, sort of making my uber, super spiritual list of things that I could see God restoring, maybe helping him out a little with a few ideas, you know, because I'm sure the Lord was looking for my ideas. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God got real quiet. Isn't it funny that when we go big picture, he usually goes so personal? I just remember sort of that up-close still small voice of the Lord. And he said to me, Jen, he said, I am actually restoring the fullness of you. And it just kind of kicked me back in my seat. And, and I'll be honest with you, I kind of sat there and I thought, well, Lord, you know, I'll take anything you have for me, but I don't know if I if I really have been aware that maybe there's some deteriorated places in me. You know, I'm walking with you. I'm doing everything I know to do. But that's when he began to show me the second definition of the word restoration and the work of restoration that he does. I knew this first one of reversing the deterioration, but the second definition of restoration is simply to bring into fullness or to bring into something's full capacity. And this is what I believe heaven is shining a light on for us this morning, is that so many of us have been walking with God, following God, but we know deep down that we are not standing or operating in the fullness of what God put on the inside of us to be. And he said, Jen, I am not satisfied that you would function in 60% of who you are. I'm not satisfied that you operate in just some of who you are because I designed the fullness of you for intention. And I am not okay to leave you in places where maybe the boxes other people have put you in or the systems you've been having to function in would limit the fullness of who I put you in the earth to be. And I am not willing for your past seasons to define your right now season. I don't care who everybody says you used to be. I'm looking at who I made you to be right now and where I'm walking you into for tomorrow. And let me just go ahead and tell you now that the only person that gets to define what the fullness of something is, is the one that made it. It's the only one. I mean, 
You know, I can take something and stand it up in front of you that I didn't invent and tell you what I think this thing is made to do. You know, if I brought out like a a Hoover vacuum cleaner and I set it in front of you and I said, now, here's this machine and, and all it does is it washes windows. It washes windows. That's all it does. I'm telling you that that's all this does. Well, I can say that all day and all night, but I didn't create the Hoover vacuum cleaner. So the only one that gets to tell you about the full capacity of what that thing can do is Mr. Hoover. I don't care what people have said, either out loud or non-verbally to you, to put a box on you of who you are now and who you are not. I'm telling you that none of those words matter because the only one that gets to say the fullness of who and what you are is the one that says, I knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them, there is more to me than meets the eye. Come on, get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm just going to go ahead and give you a warning on this conference. God is going to use this as a catalyst to instigate some things in you. And in a short amount of time, you're going to hear people that have known you a long time saying things to you like, what's happening with you? I never knew that was in you. I never saw you act like this before. What is this part of your personality? When did you discover that ability? And you can look him in the eye and say, I tried to tell you there is more to me than meets the eye. And don't get settled on this. There's more of me coming. Hello. Come on, it's going to get good. Listen, life is an adventure with God the Holy Spirit. And he is still uncovering pieces of you. If you think right now you know all there is to know about you, you have lost your mind. I mean, you are so complex. Look around at all the women in this room at how different we are. Do you really think that we can know the totality of one another, let alone ourselves, just by looking at what's on the surface? You see, there are pieces of you that God formed and put in you before you were in your mother's womb that are time-stamped. You couldn't get into them before now. It wasn't time yet. Number two, can I be honest with you? You weren't ready. You weren't ready. If, if he would have unlocked the fullness of you 10 years ago, you'd have shown up and been like, look at me. I am all that, and I'm going to fix this thing for you because I am God's gift from the earth. Everybody back out. <laughs> and people would have been like, we've already had enough of you. Go home. And so I'm so thankful that God didn't unleash the fullness that he had put in me before I was ready because it would have shipwrecked me. Anybody else grateful for that? But listen, all of the years that God has been preparing you, he's been building this endurance and this stamina and tempering maybe some compassion and tempering some 
patience. And before when we would have been quick to write somebody off, now we understand someone's pain and someone's journey and we step back and instead of jumping in to critique and fix, now we might be a little slower to grab their hands and say, hey, I've been there. Because if we could just kind of maybe fed for a a minute jump to the punchline of what God's saying today as God is restoring and bringing us into the fullness he's making us ministers of restoration to look other people in the eye and pull them out of the deterioration and into the fullness of who God made them to be I want to tell you a story that I feel like um, just paints a picture of this so well. And it's a true story. It actually uh, transpired a few years ago in New Jersey. And so there's this older couple that lived in the same house, um, you know, most of their lives. And and, uh, the wife, you know, was... uh, very advanced in years, and the day came where she she died, passed on, and it seemed like it was just a few months after that that then her husband died. And so they had three grown children, but they all lived out of state. And so they had to decide what they were going to do with their parents' home and belongings, and they had left some outstanding debt. And so these three grown children decided, you know what we're going to do is we're going to hire an auction company to go in and and just uh, go ahead and assess all the valuables in our parents' home, and then uh, they're going to hold an auction and uh, sell things off, and that was going to help expire some of the outstanding debt so that then they could put their parents' house on the market. And so they did that. They hired this auction company to come in and it was one of those multi-level homes, you know. It had a finished basement and upstairs and a main floor. And so this auction company came in and and they're pricing everything and assessing everything and this one gentleman was down in the lower level, the finished basement, if you will, and and he's going through pricing things, and, and they have this one particular sort of small um, uh, picture frame on the wall. And so he looked at it, and he said, well, you know, I don't know so much if that picture's worth a whole lot, but that frame is actually worth a good amount of money. And so he priced it for $500. Must have been some kind of frame, but anyway. And so, uh, so they have this auction, you know, and, and so they go through. People, they bought, sold a lot of stuff. People bought stuff. And... Um, and then whatever didn't sell, what those auction companies do is they take it and they put the remaining items online so that people from around the world can bid on them and purchase them. And so when the auction was done, turned out that that basement piece of art in that frame, nobody bought. And so they took it with the other remaining items and they put it online to sell. Well, there was a man in Paris, France, who uh, was an art dealer. And so he was online scrolling through these auctions and he came across this basement piece of art. And when he came across it, he was sort of stunned. And so he really looked and he messaged the auction company and he said, would you mind sending me a few more pictures of this? I I may be interested in it. And so they did. And when he got the pictures, he was able to confirm his suspicions that this was a, um, actually a lost Rembrandt painting. 
And Rembrandt had painted a series of paintings based on the five senses. And this particular painting was Rembrandt's painting representing the art of smell. And so this Paris art dealer quickly purchased this missing Rembrandt for $500. And then he quickly put it for sale at Christie's auction house, and it sold for $3 million. Now, I should go ahead and let you know that there was another painting that is still missing in Rembrandt's Five Senses collection called The Art of Taste. So when this meeting is over, <laughs> you may want to go check your basements, okay? You're welcome for that. When I saw this story, it just came alive to me. And I thought, too many times, that's actually exactly how you and I are functioning. It's not that we're totally outside of who God made us to be. We're functioning as art, but God is saying, I didn't make you to be basement art. The frame that you're in is not what gives you value. The role that you play is not why I value you. The things that you do for your family and that you do for the ministry and that you do for the kingdom is not what makes you valuable. What makes you valuable is the you that I breathed into existence. And who I made you to be is made for more than where you are right now. Some of you need to give yourself permission to get out of the basement. Some of you need to recognize that this is not all there is to me and that maybe, just maybe, I have been limiting myself and God wants to open my eyes to see all of what he's made me to be, the fullness of who I am in this season of life that I am in right now. You see, in humanity, the curve of excellence of a man or woman, and it's a women's conference, so I'm going to say particularly women, the curve of our best and our most valuable and the best of us sort of is on quite a steep curve, isn't it? And that curve sort of has a mid-place peak, and in by humanity standards and in our Western culture, it hits a peak and then it begins to descend. But heaven's curve, the kingdom of God's curve, doesn't look anything like that. In fact, the kingdom of God's curve of you doesn't have a descending curve. It just keeps going up. So the longer you go and the more you walk with him and the more you get to know him and the more faith projects that you and him walk through and every time you take a stand on his word when symptoms come your way and every time you believe God when your kids are trying to go crazy, every time it just keeps adding value and unlocking more of who you are. If your life is like a sail, can I say to you that your sail just keeps unfurling and getting greater and greater. Nothing of you and God is diminishing. He just keeps adding to the value of who you are. I remember when a tremendous man of God left the earth a few years ago now uh, by the name of Dr. Miles Monroe. Anybody ever heard of him? 
I mean powerful man of God. Such revelation on the kingdom of God and, and his life was cut short through a tragic plane accident. And I can remember uh, spending time with a man of God that, that I have a, a lot of respect for. He's a nationally known name. And there was a discussion about Dr. Miles Monroe, you know, what happened. And, and this revered man of God made this statement. And he said, make no mistake about it. He said, the body of Christ took a hit when we lost him. And he said, I'll tell you why. He said, because each one of us have an anointing on our lives. And those anointings, God matures those anointings the longer we go. He made this statement. He said, you understand, at the time he was probably about 80 years old when he said this. He said, the anointing that I'm walking in today is not the same anointing I was walking in when I was 40 years old. I was anointed then, but that anointing has matured. He said, so all of the years that it takes to mature anointings in the earth, when we lose one early, God's got to start all over again. So I'm saying that to you to say that the best of you has not been seen yet. Because God is maturing things on the inside of you. And if you don't count yourself out, Heaven can bring you into everything he's called you to be. I want you to look with me, if you will, over in the book of Mark in uh, chapter 3. Is this helping somebody today? God wants to open our eyes to see what he's doing in our lives and, and get us in a place to be able to collaborate with him. And you know, if you side in with the wrong things in that process, it'll stunt your growth. If you listen to wrong voices as God's bringing you into the fullness of you, it'll stunt your growth. It pays to have right people around you, doesn't it? It also pays to hang out with people who haven't decided to settle themselves. You can go through life asleep or awake, just like you either went through school asleep <laughs> or awake. Some of you are like, I'm awake. Yes, Jesus. Do we need to pass out second cups of coffee? Because I will do it. Okay. How many of you can say, you know, yeah, I went to such and such school and I graduated from there. But could you also say that there were some classes that maybe you slept through? You were present. You were in the room. You got the check mark, but you were not awake. You can go through life that way as a born-again, spirit-filled believer. Oh, yeah, that's my church. I show up there. I'm involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole time... Everybody knows on the inside you're asleep. And you could miss what God had for you entirely. And so um, God pulls us into the fullness. There is this story that Jesus uh, gave us in the book of Mark that I find so peculiar. And it's, it's one of the miracles that Jesus did that to me stands out above the rest. And, uh, and I want you to look at this in Mark chapter 3. And, uh, 
In verse 1, it says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. Does anybody else find that weird? Have you ever come, can I come down there? I lasted as long as I could. Have you ever come to church where there were people in the foyer waiting to see if, you know, Pastor Bree or Pastor Garrett or Pastor Joyce was going to heal anybody because you were going to tell them off? I mean, is that bizarro? Sometimes we read over these things in the Bible because we've heard them so much and we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And we, like, we need to check in and go, what? How demented were these people? Who doesn't want somebody healed? Let me give you a little bit of historical backstory. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to relay this to you from historical records. What I'm about to tell you is not in this Bible, okay? So I'm going to make that straight, and Pastor Garrett can fix it later. You're welcome. Okay. (laughs) So if I could give you just a little bit of backstory to maybe why this was happening. So these leaders, these religious leaders, these synagogue leaders, church leaders, sort of like the pastors of the day, they had gotten into this place where somehow they had moved over into what we call today religion. They had gotten into the rules and the systems and the the rules of, of this life. And they had shifted out of ministering to people over into governing this system and so what had happened is at this time in history Herod was king and he was building Herod's palace a palace unto himself and in order to build this they had to utilize every stone cutter in the land and the Hebrews the Jews that attended the synagogue the Hebrews were master craftsmen They were the best stone cutters. And so it was actually mandated that all the Hebrew stone cutters had to work for the government. They were paid, but they were paid minimally, but they were mandated. It was legally, they were obligated to work for the government to build Herod's palace. But then all of a sudden, Herod decided that it wasn't being built fast enough. And so he then mandated that they not take off the Sabbath and that they had to work on the Sabbath day. Well, this infuriated those religious leaders because they were now eclipsed with keeping the laws and keeping the system. And to not rest on the Sabbath, to work on the Sabbath, whether it was for a job or for your own farm or in any way was breaking this cherished system that they had committed their lives to uphold. And so historically, there is a historical record that these religious leaders got so demented in their thinking that they decided to go on a crusade and do all these Jews a favor. And they went to all the male stone cutters that were Jews and they maimed their hand so that they could not work on the Sabbath. You talk about sick. 
Isn't this, isn't this great? Now you, God will be pleased with you because you're not breaking one of his laws of working on the Sabbath. And so to keep you from having to work, we're going to maim your hand. Now this particular man in this story, we don't know for sure if he was one of those because the Bible doesn't tell us how he got this withered hand. We don't know if he was born that way. He could have been. But if we take this story into historical account, there's a good chance that the reason those religious leaders were waiting in the foyer was because they themselves maybe had maimed that man. And now they were going to catch Jesus and say, are you going to heal what we did to keep the law? Are you going to reverse this? Because if you do, we're going to accuse you. I'll tell you, religion will make you crazy. Religion will make you nuts. Religion will get you obsessed with things that don't matter any more than a hill of beans while people are dying and going to hell. It's crazy. I'll tell you how crazy religion is. Religion will try to say, uh, do we want the gospel preached? Yes, unless you're a woman. I mean, that was a good one. Thank you. That was for you, Pastor Joyce. That was for you. How crazy is that? So, so religion is doing the devil's work for him because now people are trying to shut down 50% of the people that God has to share about his kingdom in the earth because of what gender they are. It's weird because there's that verse in the Bible that says in Christ there's neither male nor female. So I don't know what we really do with that unless we cut it out with scissors. You see how religion will rob, rob people of things? Well, now you can come in and we want you to get all God has for you. But now you're going to have to look a certain way and not look that way because, you know, you'll just really upset God. Really? Because I can't find that in here. What I do see are these, these words where Jesus said, come as you are and drink from the river of living water. I know I'm just taking a little time to drill this point, but sometimes we need to stop and see how crazy religion is. And let's be the generation to call it for what it is. Hello. Because we got a generation of young women coming up. They don't have time for that. They want to live for a purpose greater than themselves. And if religion tries to tell them there's no place for it, they'll go find a purpose somewhere else. And they'll start marching in the streets for somebody else's agenda. And they're just a puppet on a string and totally miss God's purpose for their life. But not on our watch. So Jesus is standing there in this moment where literally there is this precious man with a withered hand and there's this whole religious system that's confronting him and, and they've decided to make this a showdown. And I just love how Jesus handles this. It, verse 2, And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, Come forth. Uh, it says stand forth and in our modern day language it's like Jesus said hey come over here and I love this because Jesus knew what was going on but at first at first he totally ignores these jokers 
you know, because this guy is what's important. So he, he calls this man over. I mean, either way, this man's probably feeling a little nervous about what's, what's going on. In verse 4, and Jesus says unto the leaders, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days? Or is it lawful to do evil on the Sabbath days? Now, could be he was calling them out. Is it lawful to save life? Or is it lawful to kill it? I mean, they must have been shaken in their boots. And when, but it says they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart, he says unto this man the most interesting thing. Now, I want you to picture yourself as maybe an innocent bystander. Maybe that was your church, and you happened to show up for church at the same time as all this is beginning, and you thought, whoa, nobody go get a seat. I got to see how this goes, okay? So you're in the foyer signing up for God knows what because you don't want to miss this going down. And so Jesus looks at this man, and he's got this withered hand. And Jesus looks at him, and he's Jesus. And he says to him, stretch forth your hand. Can you imagine being there watching this? If I was standing there, I think I would have cringed on the inside and said, oh, Jesus, come on. I mean, how cruel is that? You just asked him to do the one thing he can't do. And Jesus, you're Jesus. I mean, we already know that he heals people. I mean, you remember the guy that had the leprosy, the horrible skin condition? He told him, go dip in the river seven times and you'll come out clean. Well, with all the problems that guy had, he was able to walk himself to the river. Um, remember the, the, blind, the blind man? Jesus didn't ask him to do anything. He just got in the mud and made a couple of, you know, moon pies. I mean, mud pies. Put them on his eyes. And uh, when they wiped the mud away, the guy could see. He's Jesus. You can do anything. And Jesus, after everything this guy's been through in front of everybody and these leaders staring him down, breathing down his neck, how cruel of you to ask him to do the one thing that he can't do. But I want to say this to you today, that it's very possible that there is a piece of who God made you to be that maybe has been withered up. And maybe it withered up because when you stepped out, somebody took a crack at you. Maybe religion came in some way, shape, or form and tried to maim you. And said, oh, who do you think you are? I knew you when you were a wreck. I knew you last week when you told somebody off. Maybe somebody along the way came in and said, this is your cap. You're never going to go beyond this. Your best days have come and gone. Maybe there's a piece of you that for whatever reason is withered. And the Spirit of God meets you today and looks you in the eye 
and says, do you trust me? Then I want you to step out and do that one thing you think you can't do. And you go, oh, Jesus, come on. I mean, I'll do anything. I'll work the nursery. I'll, <laughs> I mean, God, anything. But don't ask me to do that because I can't go through that again. But the Spirit of God says, I am not willing to settle on you walking in just 60% of who you are. Do you trust me? Because you talk about an immediate bond of trust that had to transpire between that man and Jesus. I don't know how long it took that man. Maybe he did it in a second. Maybe it took him a few. But the reason that Jesus said to him, stretch forth your hand, is because he knew that if he would just do it, if he would push past the hurt and the rejection and the limitation that he always believed he would have, if he would push past that and trust Jesus, Jesus knew that on the other step of his action of faith, that the power of God was going to grab that hand and pull it forward into total restoration. That at one moment, it was going to reverse the deterioration. That at one moment, Jesus was going to take that hand and he was going to take that man and bring him into fullness. He was no longer going to be the guy at that church with the withered hand. In one moment, he was going to make this hand as strong as this hand. And when heaven restores something, you can't tell that anything ever happened to it at all. Come on. People will look at you and say, well, how dare you try to help me? You've never been through anything. You could say, look, I might look good on the outside right now. But let me, let me tell you the story about this hand and how it used to be. Because when you read that story, the Bible says that that man stretched forth his hand. And when he did, that hand was made completely whole. And I don't know what happened in the minds of those religious leaders as they just went. Maybe all these rules really wasn't mattered. what mattered after all. Maybe just maybe. We need to get back to seeing people restored. Maybe just maybe we need to go ahead and radar through all the limitations that we have for ourselves and the boxes we have for other people. And maybe we need to be gutsy enough and mature enough to realize that wasn't God's box, that was man's box, and I'm not believing that way anymore. Maybe just maybe we need to take the limitations off of ourselves based on who we have been and say, God, why don't you paint the picture on the inside of me of who you made me to be? Do I have time to tell you one more story? What time is it? I do. Okay, one more story. I'm watching that cot. I love watching God do works of restoration because... The story of restoration is so powerful in and of itself, isn't it? 
So uh, I, I have always loved art. I think that's why I'm, I'm drawn to it. Traveling all the time. I mean, anytime I get to go visit an art museum or something like that, I just love it. I wish I had like an art degree to really understand it. I don't. I just know it's pretty. And, uh, and I love hearing the stories behind it. It's just amazing to me. It's probably because I have no artistic ability whatsoever. And so I just really admire it in other people. And so, but this story just really seals the deal. It's a, a, another true story. And um, it's about a painting that Picasso did. And it's called The Dream. And this particular painting was purchased years ago by a very well-known multi-billionaire named Steve Wynn. And most people know Steve Wynn. He owns the Wynn Casino out in Vegas and all that stuff. And so when he first started making his first millions, he bought this Picasso called The Dream for a mere $39 million. So if you and I save up our change, we too could buy a Picasso for $39 million. And so he was a, an avid art collector through his, his business career, but this Picasso called The Dream was just somehow always his favorite. And so in recent years, Steve Wynn actually, um, sadly, contracted a degenerative eye disease. And it's the kind of eye disease where uh, you lose your peripheral vision first. And so he had made this decision, and he said, you know, uh, I've invested in all this art, and I can't really appreciate it like I used to because of my eyesight, and so it's probably time that I go ahead and start divesting and, and sell some of this. And so he decided that he was going to go ahead and sell his favorite piece of artwork, Picasso's The Dream. And so he called his multi-billionaire uh, best friend, Steve Cohen, because when you're a multi-billionaire, you have other multi-billionaire <laughs> best friends, right? That's why you and I are friends, right? Okay. And um, so he called him and he said, hey, he said, I've decided to sell this painting. You've always admired it whenever you've been at my house. And I was just, I thought I'd offer it to you first. And so Steve Cohen said, you know what? I, I have always loved that painting. I would like to buy it. And so, of course, it had greatly appreciated over all these years since he had originally purchased it. And so they worked out this friend deal where Steve Wynn was selling this painting to Steve Cohen for $139 million. It was a best friend deal, right? He was giving him a break. So, so remember that, you know, if we, okay. And so, um, so the, the deal was set. And so it was actually the night before they were going to ship this painting off. And so Steve Wynn decided to call about 50 close friends. And he invited them over and he said, look, we're shipping this painting off. It's down off the wall. It's on this easel. And he said, why don't you come over? We'll have some refreshments. You might never get another chance in your life to see a Picasso up this close. And, uh, and so, you know, these friends came over. It was the end of the night, and they gathered around this painting. And so Steve Wynn, loving this painting so much, began to tell all that he knew about this beautiful piece of art called The Dream. And so as he's finishing up and he's telling them all about it, he motioned toward the painting on the easel. But because of that degenerative eye disease, when he did, he lost his balance, and he fell. And when he fell, he caught himself 
but not before he put his elbow through that painting. And so the story goes, you know, that everybody did in the room exactly what you all did. Oh, my word. And so being a gracious man, you know, he, he, they steadied him and, and he steadied everyone else. And he said, look, you know, it's fine. I did it. You didn't do it. And he said, let's just put it in perspective. You know, nobody died. It'll be fine. So the next morning he called Steve Cohen and he told him what happened. And he said, look, you know, I'll handle this however you want. He said, if you want to go ahead and I'll ship it to you and you see about getting it restored, I'll discount the price. And he said, or if you want, if you don't want to mess with it, we'll just cancel the sale and, and I'll give you your money back. And Steve Cohen said, look, you're the art connoisseur. I wouldn't even know where to begin getting something like that fixed. So let's just cancel the deal. And so they did. So the next day, Steve Wynn called an art restoration company. And so they came over to assess the damage. And they said, we're going to need about two hours with the painting, and then we'll let you know our results. And so they called him in after they'd spent two hours with it. And they said, well, after looking over the painting, they said, we can tell you that uh, we will be able to restore this painting. And he said, really? And they said, yeah, but it's going to take about a year. And he said, a year? They said, yeah. You see, the way that we do it is, first, we have to go in with a surgical needle. And we have to stitch the fibers of the canvas back together surgically, one by one. And once we surgically stitch the fibers of the canvas back together, then we have to research the pigments that were used back when this painting was made to make those colors. And we have to go find those pigments all over the world, purchase them, and then mix the colors with those pigments to match the painting. And then and only then can we begin the painstaking process of painting in and restoring this piece of art. They said, but when we are done, when you look at the painting, you will never be able to tell that anything ever happened at all. And so Steve Wins commissioned them, and he said, all right, go ahead. And so it actually took them a year to restore this artwork. And so they called him for the big reveal day, and they said, it's, it's all finished, we're ready to show it to you. And he was so excited. And so he walked in and they unveiled the painting and he looked at it in awe because you could not tell that anything had ever happened. But then Steve Wynn, being an art connoisseur, walked behind the painting and he looked at the back of the canvas. And when you looked at the back of the painting, you could see all the stitching and the work of restoration that had been done. About six months later, Steve Wynn took that piece of art that he'd put his elbow through, that he had had restored, and this piece of art that he was going to sell to his best friend for $139 million after it was fixed, sold on Christie's auction block for $155 million. Because Steve Wynn knew something about art that Steve Cohen didn't. And that is that art that has been restored 
is worth more than if anything had ever happened at all because the work of restoration is considered a piece of art all by itself. And the enemy would try and get into your mind and tell you that you're disqualified because everything that you've been through and the punches that you took and the holes that you created And he would come in and say, you could have had the fullness of who I made you to be, but now you're going to have to settle for less. Maybe it could have been great, but now because of what you've been through, you're going to have to settle for good enough. And the Spirit of God would raise up a standard against that lie and say, don't you know that every place you let me come in and restore you becomes a work of restoration all by itself. And it becomes a tool that you can use to reach out to somebody else and say, I know you look at me and you think it's all good, but let me just be vulnerable and turn this thing around and show you all the places that God restored me. Come on, women. This is why the psalmist David, who knew this work of restoration so well, wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. Why? Because he's restoring my soul. I told you about that morning in that hotel room when the Lord said to me, Jen, heaven's on a tour of restoring lost art. And for all the big spiritual ideas I thought he was talking about, he was talking about us. And I remember God saying to me, I can only restore something that's being still. I can't work on restoring you on the go. I don't do works of restoration drive through style. I can only restore things that are being still and knowing. You know what? You are God and I am not. Some of us, that work is reversing the deterioration of some things. But for some of us, and I don't know, in my heart, it feels like maybe many of us. It's more so of the fact that we've settled at who we are and where we are. But the alarm clock of heaven is going off on the destiny of your life saying those time-stamped pieces of you, it's time. It's time. And you know what? It's going to feel uncomfortable. But I'm asking you to stretch forth your hand. Because if you'll do it, if you'll do what you think you can't do, my power is going to hit you on the other side. And there are things I'm going to use you in you had no idea of. And I'll even do it right in the middle of your critics. I'm going to close with this and then we'll pray. I, I appreciated, Lacey, so much that song, all the songs we sang today. But there's just something about that What a Beautiful Name song. It makes me want to run through a wall. 
I mean, when we sing, you have no rival, you have no equal, I just want to be like, let's go, you know. It's just so exhilarating. But there is a line in that song that grabbed me today like never before. And it's that line where it says, you silenced the boast. What has been boasting at you? You're never going to have fill in the blank. It's never going to be fill in the blank. You're never going to get out of what has been boasting at you, saying this is how it's always going to be. What has been boasting at you? What has been saying this has the power and you don't? Because whatever that is, Jesus said, I silenced it. And the only way it gets this voice back is if you give it yours. He silenced the boast of fill in the blank. I don't know what's been boasting at you. I don't know what's been trying to tell you in the back of your head. It's never going to happen. But whatever it is, Jesus silenced it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Can I pray over you today? Father, I thank you for what you are mobilizing in our hearts. Father, we see and know that you are restoring things in the earth right now. And God, you have called us to live in such a time as this. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what you are longing to do and restore the fullness of who we are. Spirit of truth all over this room, I release the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to the deterioration on the inside of us. God, only you know what that is, how it's come, who it came through, the moment it came. Holy Spirit, you are the master at undoing works of darkness and making us whole. I speak to those places in us and I say, be made whole, woman of God. For we have need of you. Heaven has need of you. Heaven's not through with you. Heaven's barely gotten started with you. Heaven isn't settling on you. Don't you settle on you. For you are not on a life curve that's descending. Your life is ascending. You are going from strength to strength. You're going from faith to faith. You are going from one place of glory into a new place of glory and heaven's making room for you you don't have to know the how the when 
You just have to give him your yes. And Father, just like that man that stretched forth his hand, we stretch forth our yes today. Oh, we stretch forth our yes. God, we get willing where we haven't been willing. We take the brakes off. Father, where we've settled and we've gone asleep, we awake. Wake us up and move us into everything that you saw and you called us to be when you called us forth, God. Even before we were in our mother's womb, before we drew our first breath, Father, you destined each woman in this room and you're not finished with us yet. Lord, I ask you that through the course of this day, restore, 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 restore. Bring back dreams, bring back visions, bring back promises. Father, bring back those places where we felt your hand so heavy on our life. We awake and we step up. God, we say, bring it back. God, we declare the glory days haven't come and gone. Our best days are just now beginning. And we thank you for it, Father. God, thank you for what you're mobilizing in this place. And God, I thank you that you're doing it in us. You're doing it in us. You're doing it in us. Glory, 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 glory to God. I just feel like all over this room right now, there are remembrances coming back to you of things you got glimpses of in your spirit. Some of you so far back, even when you were a young person when you were a teenager and God would give you dreams and visions, seeing yourself doing things and the fullness of that has not come to pass yet. And you say, well, I thought that time had passed. How could this be? And heaven says, would you please leave that to me? For I said the willing and obedient will eat or see or walk in the good, the fullness of the land. Would you just do your part and leave that rest to me? For I am the architect of your dreams, and I am the fulfiller of them. But they do require your collaboration. And so we thank you for that today, Lord. Holy Spirit, move us forward. We're ready to run with you. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Do you receive it today? Hallelujah. Give him a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Pastor Bree, multi-billionaire, Pastor Bree. Let me know when you let me know when you reach that status. Yeah, I was